Amen. Thank you for sharing, brother. I appreciate that opening. Um, I think I'll just continue. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I think that's on all of our hearts. We have a, a special bond with the brothers at Elmendorf. I feel there's a closeness, uh, friendships that go back 20, 30 years. <clears throat> and uh, even a brotherhood. And what, what happened these last few weeks, in some ways, it rattled me. It, uh, I shouldn't say what happened, but what was revealed. Um, I had to accept the reality of something I would have thought impossible. I would have argued that this was impossible. What happened? <clears throat> um, and today, I want to share on the body of Christ, on the church. With that, uh, with that in the background, I want to speak about the body of Christ, how the body of Christ ought to function, what it ought to be, how the church ought to be, and, and how it ought to work for us, in us, and through us. I believe um, we're called to present that. We are the body of Christ. The church is called the body of Christ. His body, His kingdom on earth. His bride. He calls us His bride. And He's coming to return to claim His bride and finally take her to eternal glory. That's what we all believe. That's, we are all, that's what we're all hopefully looking forward to, to that day. So... A few questions, basic questions I want to try to talk about and, and maybe answer is, what is the body of Christ? And how should it function? And I'll be taking a lot of my text out of Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there to follow along. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So here we have Paul, and he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. And he's writing to the churches that, that he would have helped establish, and he would, have, uh, he would have helped build and establish over the years. And he's a prisoner. He calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. He's chained to a Roman guard, most likely, or he's under house arrest. And he's writing to the churches. And he never complained much about the situation he was in. He never complained about being under arrest. He never complained about being in chains. He, uh, he accepted it as even a blessing. Um, he, he did complain that he felt some of his friends had forsaken him in different places, that nobody, nobody was there with him. Um, <clears throat> so the, the, for the background, there should be some things in our life Hard times as believers. As followers of Christ, Jesus promised his followers the cross. He said, take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? He calls us to die to ourselves. 
to find life in him. And there's a certain um, there's a certain there's a cross that we sign up for when you truly become a follower of Christ. When we truly commit our lives to him, when we truly um, commit to following him, no matter what the cost, there is a cost. There is a cost. And here Paul, he was living, living this in a real way. <clears throat> he was sitting and he was imprisoned and it wasn't the best of circumstances. And yet he wrote all these things. When there's persecutions, when there's hard times as Christians, I, I think a lot of time, even with what Elmendorf went through, I remember going down there and it, uh, it was just hard to say. You have to ask the question as believers, is the Lord trying to say something? Is he saying something? If we're true followers of Christ and every situation that we come into, everything that happens in our lives, is God is using and He's able to use for our good. And it becomes a little complex where you can't just come storming in and say and start pointing fingers and say this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And start opening all out investigations. There will be hard times in our life, and we have to accept it. And we, I, th I think we, we, should, we should be prepared. Um, when we're persecuted as Christians, when we run into conflict um, with the world, when our convictions to follow Christ bring us to hard times, when we have to sacrifice things, in order to live by our conscience, to live by our convictions. There is a price. But this... So, he goes on, and he's beseeching us to walk worthy of the vocation where we, you are called. He says, I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And he says, therefore, so, so when, when he says, therefore, he's, he's referring to, the, to what he said before. And in chapter three, chapter 3, he was talking about who Christ is, who he is, and what he's done for us. And he says, for this reason, because Christ paid so great a price, he gave so much for us that we might be saved. And he's saying this demands an incredible response. If the King of kings, if the Lord of lords, if the almighty God and creator of heaven and earth cast his eye on us and he noticed us and he took interest in us and he not only took interest in us, but he chose to love us. He truly cares for us and is rooting for us and our best interest in every situation. And these are the things that he covers in, in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He says, He chose to love us, not in a superficial way, but with a real love. A love with shoes on. A sacrificial love. A love that walked through the same situation, through the same trials that we walk through in this life. The highest love. 
A love that laid down his life for, their friend, for his friends. A love that took the punishment that we deserved. He took it in our place. And he's, he's encouraging the believers and he's exhorting everyone to walk worthy of that calling. To walk worthy in this life of the calling that we have received. To walk worthy of that sacrifice, of that kind of love. And it's a tremendous challenge. So to what vocation are we called? What a vocation is a trade, it's a, it's a profession, it's a calling. What is our calling? What is our trade? What's he saying? What does it mean? How does it play out in real life? And he calls it a vocation. It's a, it's, it's not, it's a job. It's something that we're called to be and something that we're called to do. And it's, it's not necessarily something that will happen without effort. It's something that you have to work out. And here in, in verse 2 he goes on and he says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. With all lowliness and meekness, in other words, with all humility, with long-suffering, bearing and carrying one another in love, striving and working to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's called us to work and to try to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. <clears throat> Verse 4, There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. There is one body and one Spirit, just like we are called to one hope and one calling. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. It's all one. There's one calling. There's one Father, one Spirit. That should make it simple. You know, if we all are called by one calling, if we're all serving one Lord, one Spirit, it should make it very simple. There's one goal, and that's, that's God, our one true God, serving and loving Jesus Christ. <clears throat> then that, that says we should all have the same goals and ambitions, right? If there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that points us all in the same direction. One calling. We should all be striving to serve God with all our hearts. <clears throat> so verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. So to everyone is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He says we were all given, every believer was given a portion, a measure of grace and gifts. So what is grace? What is that grace? 
Grace is the strength that He bestows on us. It's the power in us to over the power He gives us to overcome. That's how I understand the grace. <laughs> it's His power and strength working in us. It's the power that's available to us. If we claim it, if we ask for it. <clears throat> he ascended up on high and He led captivity captive. And He gave gifts unto men. So what are these gifts? What is their purpose? So He, descend, he ascended, He came to earth and He went up into heaven and He gave gifts to men. So what are these gifts? What is their purpose? We have one calling and then he gave us, um, he, he ascended into heaven and he gave us gifts to fulfill his will. <clears throat> Verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So he gave some apostles. These are the different giftings. Those that are the first apostles were called were, were the ones who were directly called by Jesus. But I believe there's still apostles in the church. Um, I would say those who are older brothers, those who have walked, um, those who have walked their lives faithfully, who lead the church and direct. And it could also represent uh, missionaries, uh, missionaries who establish and build churches. They could qualify. <clears throat> and he gave some prophets. Prophet is those who speak the prophetic word, meaning those who hear God's word in a situation, who can speak what God has to say in a, in a particular situation to, to the church and to individuals. And it, it also definitely includes a revelation of future events. But I think primarily a, prophet, a prophetic word is to... Uh, is what God has to say to the church. <clears throat> and some evangelists, those who, with a gift of teaching, <clears throat> for which a gift, with a gift of reaching out and bringing the gospel to those that are lost. And some uh, pastors, literally meaning shepherds, those who look out for, feed and care and nurture the body of Christ and the church. So there's different giftings. There's different um, giftings and and functions in the body that work together. Some teachers, those who are able to teach, those who are able to present things in a way that can be understood. Teaching truths and things of Scripture. So what is the purpose of these gifts? He gave all these gifts. He distributed them to the church. And there's a few more that aren't in this passage. I wish they were. Um, but I don't want to go into them now. But the gifts are in verse 12, if we go on, are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of knowledge and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man onto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. So that is the purpose. That is the purpose of the gifts. That is the purpose of the church. That's what the church is meant to do. That's what a brotherhood is meant to do. That's why we have these giftings. That's why there's many different members. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
for the perfecting of the saints. That's to build each other up. For every believer, our calling is to grow deeper in him, to learn, to know him more, to go on to perfection, to seek more of him in our lives. If that calls us to eliminate things from our lives, if that calls us to remove things that are hindering us, our calling is to be perfect. We should desire and strive to be perfect, to seek Him, to build each other up, to help each other grow in grace and onto perfection. God's heart is to grow us and to see us as close to perfection as possible because He is perfect. And what's hindering us from coming into His presence? What's hindering us from having true fellowship with Christ, with Him? It's sin. The more perfect we are, the closer our fellowship can be in Him. And ultimately, we will never be 100% perfect. It's impossible for us as humans. But in Christ, He forgives us completely. He cleanses us completely. And we come to God through that. But that experience, that desire should be in us to have to, and, and, and drive us to seek perfection to seek Him, to seek more of Him. <clears throat> so the work of the ministry, to serve and to help others grow, to help others minister to those around us, for the lost and also for those around us, for the fellow believers, for ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building of the body, for the growth of the body. The purpose of the gifts and the purpose of the church is to build and grow the believers. The believers make up the church. It's not a building. It's not, it's not a denomination. It's God's people seeking to know Him. Edify the body of believers, the, bo the body and the believers in Christ. And that's God's plan and heart for us. That's God's plan for the church. Verse 14, that we, be, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by slate of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ. And he says, so that henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro. Carried about with every wind of doctrine. There's a clear expectation he's writing to the believers here. That a believer should come to maturity. A believer shouldn't be just thrown around by winds and waves, by everything that comes against them in life. And questioning things all the time. That's like a child. And as believers and, and the purpose and God's heart for us. Is to draw us closer to him. To teach us more of him. To reveal to us more of himself. And we learn to trust him. We grow in him. <clears throat> That we be no more children tossed to and fro. 
not struggling with every new doctrine or idea that comes our way, but growing in love. And all things, even Christ, which is the head. And verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. From the body fitly joined together. And here he, he continues the analogy that he calls the church the body. Fitly joined together. And he says it works, the, the church should work together in the same way. Like a body works together to do things, to accomplish the function. And he, uh, he says how smoothly the joints, they work together. We don't even notice it happening. And yet it works together. <clears throat> so Amen. How does the body work? I'm doing quite a bit of uh, scripture reading today. Um, so I want to take another passage. The, the most more popular passage of the, the body of Christ and the members is in 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to turn there and follow along, I'll just, I'll just read through it and then comment on it. <clears throat> so how does the body work? How is the church, God's, how is the church supposed to work like a body? And the explanation in, in, in 1 Corinthians is, is pretty clear. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Um, so 1 Corinthians 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body being men, many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit... Are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink on into one spirit? For the body is not one member, but many. So he's, he's explaining how the body, how we are, not, we are not individuals so much as we are all part of the body of Christ. And the individual relationship to Christ, the individual um, commitment is important. But ultimately, God's heart is for His people and His church. To build that, to grow that, to, be his, to prepare His bride for Himself. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now had God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it had pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, but yet one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again to the head, to the feet, head. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of thee. So he's he's saying how in the body, whether we realize it or not, we need each other. He's saying the different members perform different functions. 
on our own, we can never be, I believe, what God wants from his church and his body. But every member has something to contribute. And a lot of these members, they can't be replaced. They can't. If you, if you eliminate it, you're losing something. <clears throat> the eye cannot say unto the, and the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Verse 22. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which think to be less honored, honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. But our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. So he says, some of the unimportant parts of our body, we, we treat like they were very important. And some of the most important ones, we just disregard. For our comely parts have no need, but God had tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, schism, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. <clears throat> we all know how the body works. We all have one, right? When it's not working um, like it should, when it's not pain-free, when it's not completely fluid, we really get concerned quickly. And our body has all kinds of features that make it function and work smoothly. There are those members of the body which he calls feeble. They seem feeble. Those things, we, and those things that in our body that we don't even know about can make you very sick. Someone might have trouble with a thyroid gland. And uh, unless you've had trouble with it, you probably don't even know what it is. For most people. Or what it does, or what it's supposed to do. <clears throat> but if you have trouble and it's not functioning the way it is, it can cause you serious grief. You know, we have arms, hands, fingers, noses, a heart, a liver, kidneys, and then those different glands that we don't even know their name. You know, we can survive without fingers. I know back in my growing up days, I, I, there were some grandpas at Neuhof, and they, they were pretty rough. I mean, one was like so, and the other one had like, I think you had five left. But they got along fine. They had lost fingers, but um, they got along fine. They, it was not, it was a little inconvenient for them. Um, but they, they, made, they made out just fine with them. But if, if one of their other organs, if their heart had given them trouble, if their kidneys had quit working, or was down to 
Um, you wouldn't have seen as much on the outside with, with at first glance, but they would have uh, they would have died. <clears throat> and that's what he's saying. In the body, there's there's members that maybe they don't seem important, and maybe we don't recognize what they're doing, but they are important. And the body is meant to work together to bring glory to God. <clears throat> so what are the most important organs in our body? It's some of the ones we never notice. A small organ we don't even know exists. It can kill us. And he says that there be no schism in the body. That there be no divide, no split in the body of Christ. That the members should look out and care for each other. And that's how a healthy body functions. You know, if somebody loses a finger, the other fingers will st are still there. And they'll fill in, they'll, they'll fill in, they'll even get stronger. He'll learn to do things that we could never do with those fingers. And do them well. And our body does a lot of those things. We can get along with one kidney. The other one will just do all the work. We can get along with one leg. We can get by. It'll get stronger, and um, it's, it's a big hindrance. But <clears throat> um, I, I especially like the, the one of fingers. Like, the other fingers will, will even get stronger to make up for the head, the ones that are missing. The other point is uh, a healthy body, how it functions. That our body is always fighting off pathogens. We live in a world that's full of sickness. If you've had a flu and you, you fight it off, your body, your body, your, your, what do you call it, immune system is able to fight off these things that come against your body. Members look out and care for each other. If you've ever, uh, and I have the example here, if you've ever walked or driven through the woods and a branch would come, uh, you, if you drive through the woods and a branch comes out and whacks you across the face, there's a whole list of things that immediately happen. And automatically, you don't have to, you don't have to be in shape very much. It'll just happen. Um, you'll immediately squint, you'll duck down, you'll, your head will do try to dodge it, your hand will come up right away and try to block it involuntarily. Your body just does that. And it's a beautiful picture. <clears throat> All these things happen, these reflexes. It's a built-in protection. So my question, the question that, that I, I was pondering is where are the protections in our church, in our lives? You know, in, in the church, in the body of Christ, these same functions, these same safeties should be there. If it's like a body, every member looking out for each other, there should be a safety there. There should be protection, a level of safety, a safe place. 
What keeps us protected as a church? <clears throat> In the body. And I just want to try and, and share a little bit on these things. I, I wasn't able to completely collect my thoughts how I'd like. But in the body, in our spiritual life as believers, the first thing is uh, realizing there's a problem. Acknowledging there's a problem. Being honest. And I, that's why I really appreciated what Randy shared. But the first step is being honest. If we're not honest with ourselves, if we're not honest with where we're at, with what we're struggling, we're letting go of the biggest safety we have, the biggest protection. If somebody is dishonest, if somebody's hiding. And what came to mind is like a cancer. You know how cancer works? Generally, not all, I guess, but Generally, cancer is your body attacking itself. Your body produces white blood cells, which create a tumor. Um, and, and that tumor basically kills the body. And the body keeps, keeps producing these white blood cells because there's an internal attack. Uh, there, there's something internally wrong, generally, um, that... And... Uh, your body, what I want to say is your immune system doesn't recognize the problem. And it's a little bit like someone, and I don't know if the analogy is clear, but it's a little bit like someone who is dishonest, who is not open about a problem they're struggling with in their life. If you can't be open, if you can't be honest about a struggle in your life, You're going to have a hard time getting help. And I'm not saying, um, I'm not saying just, uh, how do you say, announcing it from the pulpit. You don't have to tell everyone. But there's brothers and sisters here who care for every member. And if we recognize that we have a problem, if we recognize that we need help, we can find it. There's people who will help us. That's what the body is for. That's what the body is here for. To help each other grow. To help each other overcome. If, we're just, if we hide the, th the sins, if we hide a sin in our life, and there's, a, there's an example of what happened in Elmendor. According to his testimony, it, it started small. And look what it grew into. That's just unbelievable. <laughs> but if I'm in denial, um, if, if I want to say there is no, I'll be okay. It's just, I'm just like everybody else. I'm just doing that a little more. It's just what well, the same problem. He's got the same problem I do. You have to be honest. <laughs> The whole idea of the church, especially a Christian community, is to share and to help each other and carry each other's burdens. And I think as church and communities, 
We don't do that great a job. If I'm honest, um, for me, I'm, I'm putting myself, I'm in the same boat. I'm not seeing this like I have it down. <clears throat> but if you're walking alone, if you're getting crushed under a burden, whatever it may be, whatever that burden is, and, and if you don't tell anyone, anyone, if you're not willing to share it, to talk about it, then you're on your own. No one can help you something with something they don't know that's there. On the other side, there's the element of seeing struggles, looking for struggles. In all this living in close community, we should be able to see each other's struggles. We should be able to tell if, if, someone, is, uh, if someone is struggling. And how many times, and I say this especially to myself, can we see someone struggling, yet we just keep on walking? Yet, how many times can we see someone go through a valley and we don't stop and check in? You know, that is what our, that is what our way of life, that is what community life, a Christian community, is all about. That's the whole point. If we are not doing this, if we are not building each other up and, and growing each other and rooting for each other and helping each other, what are we here for? And it sounds, I know, I know it sounds easy on paper. It's a lot easier to preach than it is to practice. But Nasty, that needs to be our goal. That needs to be our heart and our focus. And our vision. Walking blameless and in the light. It's most important to walk in the light. You know, if, if someone is doing things, is having things that they're trying to do under the radar, if you're hiding things, if you have shady things that no one can talk about, that you don't want people to find out, you're in a bad place. You're stepping out from the protection of the church and the brotherhood. If there's things in your life no one that you that no one finds out and no one no one can find out about, you're making yourself a target for the enemy. An easy target. Our relationships should be open and free. And if somebody is walking outside the council of the church and of the brotherhood, we're giving up protection. Who's going to have our back? And I... <clears throat> I don't think we often realize the danger of the world we live in. That the enemy... It says the enemy... Is like a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. And we live in a bit of a sheltered world here. It doesn't always look so bad. In a Christian community, and neither should it. I mean, it should, there should, this should be a safe place. 
There shouldn't be atrocities going on. Don't get me wrong there. <clears throat> but we are like an enemy. We're like an army marching in through enemy territory. And if, if you ever looked at the, the Roman army, they always impressed me. If you ever looked at the success of the Roman army, most people, most historians would credit it to discipline, their formations, their style, and their officers. They were very disciplined. Their centurions, they would, a centurion would command a hundred men. And the way they would fight, they would, they, would, they would form these formations of different sizes, basically rectangles of soldiers standing right next to each other. In one hand they had a shield, in the other hand they had a sword, and their shields basically formed a wall. So they were like this block of, of soldiers coming towards the enemy. And the, a lot of times the enemies, they couldn't, they couldn't stop them. They just kept coming. And they would stand in line and, they, and they, would, um, they would keep their positions. They were very disciplined. <clears throat> and if the, they had units and lines and rows of men, and if the front row fell, or if the front row got too tired to go on, they would just fall back and the next row would come up and take their place. And they would, they would just hold, hold that line and keep fighting. And they were the most formidable army of their time by far. <clears throat> but anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on it. But what I want to take out of that is if one of those soldiers broke rank, if one of those soldiers decided to run, they were an easy target. Their chance of survival really went down. If they could, if the enemy could break up that column, they could probably win the battle. And it's the same way there is a safety in the church. There is a protection in the church if it's done right. If we're truly open. If we truly... There's a tremendous strength on a church and a brotherhood that is looking out for each other, where the relationships are real and true. So who's our commander? Who's our king? It says Christ is the head. The church of Jesus Christ is very different from an army. I just used the one of the, the, the Roman army to for a comparison of, for the group strength idea. There's a lot of strength in the group, but the greater strength still comes from our king, from each of us being connected to our king. His commands go directly to each of us, and if we simply follow what his callings, if we follow his ways, If we follow his commands, it works. It's not very complicated. Our struggles and our reasonings and our issues make it complicated sometimes. But, but if, you, if you want to, if we want to follow Christ and have him as our Savior, and we're honest with where we're at, 
if we're honest with where we're at and where <coughs> and what is keeping us from growing, the church will be there for it. The church will be there for us. That's why we're here, to walk with one another, to be there for one another. And I believe I want to speak and touch a little bit on, on where I believe it breaks down. I did a little bit already. On one hand, your brothers and sisters should be there to reach out to you. It's beautiful when we see that happen. It's a beautiful thing when someone can see someone struggling and walk up to them and say, what are you struggling with? Can we talk? Can we, can we work through it? Can we help? Can we work through this? It's wonderful. We all hope we could do that for each other. But if it doesn't happen, what do we do if nobody comes? End of the day, you need to make those decisions. You're responsible for your life. You have one life to live on earth. And you will stand before God on judgment day. Yes, the elders will have to give account. Your, your parents may have to give account on things that happen in your life. But ultimately, you need to make choices for your life and for your eternity. You need to do whatever it takes. We're here to help each other. This community, the, the function is not to cook and to do dishes for each other. It's not to work in the barn or in the shop for each other. It's not to help each other have an easier financial load. Ultimately, it's to bring us closer to God. For each other's perfection. To minister to others and to each other. And to edify the body of Christ. <clears throat> but in closing I want to say again uh, a month ago I wouldn't have believed what happened at Elmendorf could you know I'm still in shock I think we all are there were things that, that, that happened that, um, in, that in looking back at it, we see. But I think for the most part, there was a man that was hiding. He had an unbelievable facade. And we can have the same facade on different levels. We can have the pretense that everything looks good. There were obviously mistakes that were made. There was a lack of accountability, a lack of looking into a person's life. <clears throat> but as a brotherhood and as a church family, what, what shook me is how is this possible in the church of God? And I really don't have answers. I don't really have a good answer for it. I just feel like we can learn from this. We can have a, we can have a lot of a lot, we have a lot of room to grow. To speak into each other's lives. 
those little suspicious things that were just disregarded. I listen to them and I'm like, what would I do with that? That's like, I wouldn't have picked, I wouldn't have read anything into that. The hints were just too subtle. <clears throat> and in all of us, there is the capacity to do evil that we would never believe of ourselves. Maybe we would never go that far. But sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will always take you further than you want to go. The church should function like a body. It should function like a healthy family. Each member looking out for each other and rooting for each other. So I pray that we grow, we grow in love. That we grow in the unity of spirit, in the bond of peace. And we, come a, we become a true picture of the body of Christ. Fitly joined together. For the benefit of every member, every member using his gift to build and to edify the other members. To be the healthy, functioning and growing and flourishing body of Christ. And his church. So, amen.